A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with me on the program today. We're going to be talking about uh, what went on at the White House yesterday. The um, vice president hosting about 100 or so uh, state lawmakers as part of the uh, White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention. Uh, touting uh, model legislation for uh, storage mandates, for lost or stolen uh, reporting requirements, and encouraging uh, these state lawmakers to uh, enact a host of additional gun control measures. Everything from banning so-called assault weapons to uh, enshrining red flag laws. We'll get to that in uh, just a moment. But before we do, let's talk about this for just a second. Biden's America, it is crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink, as you well know. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. Truth is, you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a six-time Inc. 5000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year, thousands of five-star reviews, and they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you contact them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. So I remember this. Uh, I wrote about this at uh, Bering Arms yesterday. The uh, confab uh, with uh, the vice president and these uh, state lawmakers. And, you know, but but I want to focus on um, a couple of aspects of this. One, it was pretty savvy of the White House to invite all of these uh, state lawmakers because not only did they get some national coverage, but again, they got a lot of local coverage, right? Because now you can tailor these stories to uh, individual state representatives or state senators, or in the case of what we're going to be talking about primarily today, the mayor of Kansas City, right? So you get headlines like this one, Kansas City mayor meets with White House officials on gun violence as city nears homicide record. So they got a lot of bang for their buck, right? Uh, By inviting these uh, state legislators to uh, go to the White House, really amplified the media coverage that they received. But what exactly is going to come of this? Again, most of the lawmakers, in fact, I would say almost all of the lawmakers who were invited to the White House are already supportive of the anti-gun proposals coming from the Biden administration, right? So it's not like they really learned anything. I uh, saw a lot of uh, headlines yesterday talking about, you know, roundtable discussions and uh, looking for ways to combat uh, gun violence. This was a very top-down discussion, right? I mean, this came about uh, with the White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention. Yeah, the DOJ getting involved. They released, again, model legislation for storage mandates, for lost and uh, stolen reporting requirements, that if, again, you are the victim of a crime, your firearm gets stolen, if you don't report that immediately to police, then you become a criminal yourself, right? Um, All of those strategies were already in place. It's not like anybody came up with a new idea Yesterday, this is about promoting the same tired, stale gun control policies that they've been pushing to enact in some cases for decades. Um, But there's also, again, another narrative here. Right. And that is that the only way to combat violent crime is through more gun control. And that's 
again, what the mayor of Kansas City was talking about. Uh, mayor Quentin Lucas met with the White House uh, on Wednesday over a proposed federal rule expanding background checks and other steps to control gun violence as the city approaches a record number of homicides in 2023. Uh, the visit comes after Kansas City's 177th homicide of the year over the weekend, just shy of the 2020 record of 182 killings. As city officials look for solutions to the violence, they've often been hamstrung by loose state gun laws enacted by the Republican-controlled General Assembly. You know, um, that type of reporting, which uh, comes from the Kansas City Star, is indicative of the type of anti-gun media bias that we see all the time, right? Um, you've got a mayor complaining, not just about violent crime, but again, about how he's hamstrung by Republicans, in this case, in uh, the state capital of Missouri, right, who uh, have all of these, quote unquote, lax gun laws and are ignoring violent crime. The problem with that narrative is that if you look at what's going on with violent crime in the state's two biggest cities, Kansas City and St. Louis, they're two very different pictures. According to the latest homicide statistics in Kansas City, murders have risen by about 4% this year compared to last. Meanwhile, homicides in St. Louis have fallen by 25% compared to last year. And across the country, it looks like 2023 could actually be a if not a record-setting year for declines in homicide, pretty darn close to a record-setting year. Nationwide, it looks like homicides are going to be down by more than 10%, which is very good news. So Kansas City and cities like Washington, D.C., and Seattle, Memphis, these are outliers. Um, Jeff Asher, who's a crime analyst I, uh, I talk about quite a bit uh, at Bearing Arms, I think he does a really good job of just reporting on the data, uh, he had a post a couple of days ago where he talked about, I think it was somewhere around 75%. It might have been 73, it might have been 76, but it was somewhere around 75% of the cities that he's been keeping track of uh, in the year-to-date uh, homicide totals. About three in four of those cities have actually seen declines in homicides compared to last year. And it looks like violent crime overall is declining this year as well, which is, again, very good news. Bad news for gun control advocates who, you know, are basically uh, uh, wedded to this belief that more guns equals more crime. If that was the case, crime would be going up each and every year, right? Because there are more and more firearms sold each and every year, more and more Americans embracing their right to keep and bear arms. But more guns does not equal more crime. It is more complicated than that. You know, again, we're seeing an increase in homicides in some cities that have very restrictive gun control laws like Washington, D.C. Um, meanwhile, you're seeing, you know, homicides increase in a couple of cities that don't have very restrictive gun control laws like Memphis. But we're also seeing violent crime drop in most other cities. Baltimore, Maryland, for example, this could be the first year since 2015 that Baltimore has fewer than 300 homicides. I mean, that is a remarkable turnaround. It happened, by the way, the same year that um, Shall Issue Right to Carry actually came to Maryland for the first you know, full 12-month period, right? Bruin came down last summer, but this is the first year, first calendar year, 
that Maryland residents have been able to apply for and receive a concealed carry license without having to demonstrate a justifiable need. Again, according to gun control activists, that should have meant more violent crime, more shootings in Baltimore. And instead, homicides are dropping by a significant margin. Uh, The only reason I bring this up is because these simple narratives just don't work. I mean, as we talked about this with John Diedrich from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel uh, on Monday of this week, right? And that was one of the takeaways from his nine months of reporting on this series behind the gun, is that there are no simple solutions. It's not a matter of, well, if we just pass this law over here, if we just enshrine uh, this gun control policy over there, uh, then everything gets solved, right? Again, when you look at what's taking place in cities across the country, what you are seeing is that there is a small number of individuals who are responsible for a disproportionate amount of violent crime. And if you can focus your attention on those individuals, then you can have dramatic results in terms of stopping shootings, not just homicides, but non-fatal shootings as well. In fact, I've got a uh, piece coming up at Barry and Arms later today talking about the uh, new attorney general-elect in Kentucky who's going to be doing this very thing um, in conjunction with officials in Louisville. And it's a carrot-and-stick approach. We've talked about this on the program before. Uh, Jason is the attorney general of uh, Virginia, was on this program not long ago talking about Operation Ceasefire, which does exactly what I just talked about. You identify the most violent prolific offenders and those who are at risk of becoming the most violent prolific offenders, and you offer them a choice. You're going to stop shooting. One way or the other, you're going to stop shooting. We'll help you if you let us. We'll make sure that you can get your GED. If you need counseling, we'll provide it. Uh, We're going to get you job training. We're going to give you the tools you need to chart a new course in life. But if you turn that down, if you do not accept the opportunity that's been given you, then we're going after you. We're going to kick your cases up to federal court. We're not going to allow you to plea bargain them down. You're not going to get probation. You're not going to get parole. You're going to get stiff sentences, and you'll have to do those sentences before you're released. This is nothing new. The strategy dates back to the late 1990s, but it works. When you have stakeholders who can work together, right, and that's local law enforcement, state law enforcement, federal law enforcement, as well as community members, When you have all of those groups operating in conjunction with one another, and they're not, you know, fighting for attention, they're not fighting for headlines, but they're actually working together, then yes, amazing things can happen. Homicide rates can drop by 50% or more. But again, it's not through more gun control. It's not through what the mayor of Kansas City is calling for. Uh, Specifically, by the way, uh, Mayor Lucas is interested in this new ATF rule, proposed rule, uh, on uh, who is engaged in the business of selling firearms. And the Kansas City Star does a really poor job of uh, reporting this. Um, they write, federal law requires businesses selling guns to conduct background checks on buyers, but many gun sales online and at gun shows aren't covered. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives wants to expand the definition of business to cover more firearm dealers. That's not really what's going on here. Under current federal law, um, everybody, every FFL, right, has to put their buyer through a background check. Doesn't matter if it's at a gun show, doesn't matter if it's online, doesn't matter if it's at a brick and mortar store. If you have a federal firearms license, you are required to put your buyers through a background check. So this rule is actually uh, expanding who 
would be defined as engaged in the business, right? Who would have to get a federal firearms license? Kansas City Star reports that the uh, ATF estimates as few as 24,500 people to as many as 328,000 other people could be affected by the rule. I would say it's actually much larger than that because this rule is so broad, as we've talked about uh, earlier this week on the program, it is almost impossible for you to figure out uh, if you are engaged in the business. So either you're going to stop doing private transfers, right? Okay, I don't, I don't, I don't get dinged. I don't want to be subject to a federal prosecution. Or you're going to uh, apply for your FFL under the theory that better safe than sorry, right? Because the ATF doesn't really give you a hard or fast definition of when you are engaged in the business. They've said you don't even have to complete a sale to be considered engaged in the business. Just offering a farm for sale might trip you up. You don't have to sell a farm at a profit as long as you're offering that uh, farm for sale. And you don't even need to do it on a repetitive basis, which has been one of the attributes of what makes somebody engaged in the business, right? The repetitive buying and selling of firearms. ATF says, nah, not anymore. Uh, you could offer as little as one firearm for sale. And again, that sale doesn't even have to be completed, but the ATF might still consider you to be engaged in the business. And you could still be subject to, again, prison time, huge amounts of fines. If you engage in that private transfer without getting an FFL, which is a lengthy and cumbersome process, um, this is about, again, uh, trying to impose as close to a universal background check system as possible, but it is also about trying to chill the rights of gun owners and curtail their ability to privately transfer firearms. Lucas uh, told the Kansas City Star, in Kansas City, we are constrained at the state and local level. We need to look to, uh, to tools from our federal partners. But again, if that's the case, then why are homicides down by 25% in St. Louis while they're up by 4% in Kansas City? Is St. Louis operating under the same constraints as Kansas City, right? I mean, they're both big cities in Missouri. They have firearms preemption laws in place. Permitless carry, same gun laws apply. So why are homicides going down in St. Louis and continue to increase in Kansas City? I, I would say it's not because of the gun laws. There's something else going on. Now, I haven't taken a look at uh, crime in Kansas City in depth. I don't know where the failings are. I don't know what the strategies are, are being used by the Kansas City Police Department. I don't know if they're focused on those most violent offenders. I don't know what the homicide clearance rate is. We don't, I, I don't know. But I do know that it is um, too simplistic, far too simplistic, to suggest that the answer is simply more federal gun control legislation. There was one other uh, item from the Kansas City Star that I, I wanted to uh, point out in their coverage of this meeting between the Kansas City mayor and the White House yesterday. Uh, and I wrote about this uh, as my VIP piece for Bearing Arms on Wednesday. Uh, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, excuse me, uh, uh, talking to the uh, lawmakers there. And she said, uh, quote, we're up against some who would suggest a false choice. That is, you are either in favor of the Second Amendment or you want to take everyone's guns away. Now, this is a straw man argument that uh, Kamala Harris has constructed 
going back before she was even vice president, uh, the earliest instance I can find of her saying almost as exact phrase is 2019 when she was running to become the Democratic nominee. Apparently, she really likes that phrase because she has repeated it almost ad nauseum every time she talks about uh, firearms. It's a great straw man, right? Uh, if you don't support what we're doing, well, you must think uh, that we're trying. Everybody's just we're trying to take your guns away. And we're not doing that. I support the Second Amendment, she said. But what does that support actually look like? Uh, what does it look like? What does that mean to her when she says, I support the Second Amendment? This is a... Uh, individual who signed on to an amicus brief in Heller when she was the district attorney in San Francisco, urging the Supreme Court to uphold Washington, D.C.'s ban on handguns, saying that, uh, well, for 70 years, the courts have uh, basically said that there is no individual right to keep and bear arms. And if that's the case, then the Washington, D.C.'s handgun ban doesn't violate anybody's rights. That's what she argued. When she was in the Senate, she supported a ban on so-called assault weapons. Obviously, now she's supporting a ban on so-called assault weapons. Kamala Harris talks a lot about, uh, again, she's repeated this phrase multiple times. I support the Second Amendment, but I also support a ban on so-called assault weapons. So what does support for the Second Amendment actually mean to Kamala Harris? I, I, I don't know. But I would love for uh, somebody in the D.C. press court to actually drill down a little bit and ask some questions because I want to know the answer. I want to know when somebody who supports a gun ban, who believes that handguns can be banned without violating anybody's constitutional rights, when they say they support the Second Amendment, I think that's deserving of a little bit more exploration, don't you? Rather than just allowing the vice president to repeatedly uh, offer the uh, trite and tired phrase without actually digging into the intent or the meaning behind it. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there, a uh, story out of Orlando, Florida, where a man accused of killing a 15-year-old in Orlando has a criminal history dating back to 2015. That's troubling enough, but the real issue is what happened the last time he was uh, in trouble with the law. According to uh, Channel 9, WFTV in Orlando, um, the man who is accused of killing uh, 15-year-old Destin Webster Thompson back in October uh, is a guy named uh, Argardo Francois, 30 years old. And WFTV investigated his, quote, lengthy criminal history and among the charges that he has faced, found a prior arrest for gun possession as a convicted felon in 2021, two years ago. According to the news station, Francois' sentencing score sheet, which was signed by a judge, shows that the minimum time he was required to serve was three years. It has not been three years since Francois was sentenced. And they spoke with uh, Orange Osceola County State Attorney Andrew Bain, who said he should have been in custody for at least 36 months. So uh, already we've got an issue here, right? Because 36 months, last time I checked, is not three years. That's a year and a half. So again, we're dealing with basically one day off your sentence for every day behind bars that you don't get in trouble, commit a major violent felony. Uh, Andrew Bain says, because you had to serve that day for day, that's three years from 2021, and that would give us a community of breakthroughs the next year in 2024. 
So he should have been behind bars based on, again, that minimum sentence that he was supposed to receive. What happened? Well, Andrew Bain says that the previous state attorney allowed Francois to plead less, to less than the minimum. Channel 9 found the uh, plea negotiation agreement, uh, and they confirmed that in the end, Francois was granted less than the mandatory minimum. He served less than a year behind bars for being a convicted felon in possession of a firearm and was released in May, five months before the uh, 15-year-old was shot. Andrew Bain, the uh, state attorney, current state attorney, says the result of this was a 15-year-old child who lost his life. Francois, by the way, was also arrested this week for allegedly robbing and assaulting somebody with a weapon. That was when he was also arrested in connection with the death of the 15-year-old. Dustin Thompson's funeral is uh, later this month. And uh, meanwhile, Francois, uh, hopefully the days of the sweetheart plea deals are over. But again, why was this deal offered in the first place? Especially when somebody, again, has such a lengthy criminal history. Today's Armed Citizen story. From California, Pleasant Hill consignment store worker scares off robbers with a gun. That's a headline we might not actually have seen in California a couple of years ago. At least uh, much less likely to see one. Thankfully, there are some folks who uh, have undergone the bureaucratic gauntlet that it takes to exercise their right to keep and bear arms. One of them being 73-year-old Albert Marcoux, who did have a firearm on him when a uh, group of robbers came into his store just the other day. He was able to uh, scare them away. At least one of them was armed with a sledgehammer. So, um, yeah, they did pose a threat to life and limb. Happened Monday afternoon, uh, about uh, 4.20. Surveillance video shows a woman walking through the store, according to KTVU. uh, And she was uh, kind of scoping out the place, right? So then she leaves and she's talking to the security guard, kind of stalling at the door. Uh, All of a sudden, her uh, buddies come bum rushing into the store. Again, at least one of them with a sledgehammer in hand. They run over to the jewelry counter. Uh, Marcoux was headed over there as well because he heard uh, one of the employees scream out. Uh, And so as... You know, the robbers are running to the jewelry counter. Marcoux gets there first. He pulls his revolver, and uh, all of a sudden, the group figures out they've got somewhere else they need to be. And they turn, and they run out of the shop. They get into two cars, one of which was reported stolen. Actually, as they're getting into the cars, a Pleasant Hill police officer pulls up behind one of them because the uh, white Infinity that they were in had been reported stolen, and a a license plate reader ended up uh, hitting on it. Despite the fact that the police cruiser was right there, two cars sped away, and nobody's been in custody. Nobody's been arrested with this. Um, Marcoux says that he is going to keep a hold of his firearm in case they or any other robbers come back. He says, if they threaten my life or the life of my employees, I'll use the gun 100%. says that he has kept his revolver on him inside the store because of recent incidents that are similar to this uh, a week ago. Uh, there were uh, uh, two guys who smashed display cases, stole jewelry at a uh, home consignment center in Danville. Marcuse says, I didn't want to shoot anybody, but I have to make a statement. Too many bad things have happened. Stores get robbed left and right. So hopefully the uh, suspects here in Pleasant Hill, California will be taken into custody, but uh, nothing else. Hopefully they have learned not to mess around with Albert Marcoux or his consignment store. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A uh, police officer who several years ago um, saved a life 
and has stayed in touch and has become a part of that life that he saved. She's my little angel, is the headline. North Haven police officer who saved baby's life becomes a part of her family. Again, I mean, you know, and this isn't just a matter of being in the right place at the right time and doing the right thing. This really is about the bond that first responders can have to the people that they help. You know, it's and and maybe there are some first responders who are able to, you know, leave the job behind. They get off the shift and they, they turn the switch and that's it. But I don't think that's the case for a lot of first responders, whether we're talking about police officers, firefighters, paramedics. What they see and what they do on the job carries with them off the clock. And in this case, Detective Michael Harden of the North Haven Police Department in Connecticut really bonded with this little girl who he saved a few years ago. Um, This little girl, named Tuka, she was born prematurely. Her mom had taken her to a, uh, with her to a movie theater, and she was just a few months old. And um, her mom, Nikki Huckabee, said, I went to pick her up when the movie was over, and I realized she wasn't breathing. And I was like, oh, my God, it was hysterical. Michael Harton was in the theater that night, and he said, I saw Nicole running towards me with a little angel in her arms. He grabbed her, tried to revive her as much as he could, and he said, she just went limp on me. And uh, he's a certified EMT as well, but he had never worked on a child that small. He said the training kicked in, but I was petrified. I was nervous. Performed the Heimlich maneuver, abdominal thrust, back blows. He says, I couldn't do anything. Or she said, I couldn't do anything. The mom said, I couldn't do anything besides pray as she's watching the officer. And then Tuka took a breath and started crying. Harden says that cry was the best thing ever. He uh, believes that she was choking on some mucus, but he was able to clear out her uh, her airways. He said, I almost started crying myself. Um, and he talked about when he handed her over to paramedics, he said, I always remember when I put her on the stretcher, she was like a little bundle of joy crying. And I was exhausted for two weeks after that. Mike Harden is now Tuka's godfather. He showed up for her first day of school. He's there at the house. Delivering presents alongside his wife, uh, Auntie Sue. And uh, Uncle Mike, Mike Harden, says, uh, I will be there for her graduation and her wedding as well. Um, As WTNH says, it's a moment that will always stand out in a 27-year career. And now Detective Harden lives with a little angel by his side. He said, unbeknownst to us, our family grew that day. Every time I see her, it's a great day. Tomorrow... It's going to be Tuka's fifth birthday, and Uncle Mike Harden will be there to celebrate. Again, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. And in doing so, changing multiple lives, including his own. So, Detective Mike Harden, we thank you for your very, very good deed. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. Um, just a slight programming note. I'm going to be off on Monday, so instead of a Monday through Thursday schedule next week, we'll go Tuesday through Friday. We'll miss any uh, Bearing Arms, Cam and Companies, but uh, we will push them back a day. So hopefully that's all right with you. Uh, until we talk again, thank you so much for being a part of the program. And don't forget to check out BearingArms.com. We'll be uh, reporting on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation, keeping you covered and up to date 
Uh, until we talk again here at Bearing Arms Cam and Company, be well, be safe, and be free.